welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, good morning. It's a good day. It's a loud day. It's good. <laughs> I love uh, whenever I say it's a good day, I usually, uh, Doug calls back all the time. And uh, when I said it's a loud day, he also said all the time. <laughs> so it's good. It's good. Well, uh, for those of you that are wondering how our son Gavin is doing, uh, he is now at YWAM in Hawaii, so that's fantastic. He got there last night uh, without any kind of problem, so that's a wonderful thing. Uh, we're excited about that. He hasn't really sent us much information. I have a picture of a bed, is all I've gotten so far, is a picture of a bed. So I'm sure that'll be followed by all kinds of other wonderful pictures, but he's there, and we're happy and excited about that, so that's cool. Uh, continue to pray for him as he... Uh, continues to do all the things that he's going to be doing this year. It's exciting. Well, uh, just a few um, months ago, actually, I discovered that I am 38% Scottish. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> I, I, never, I never actually thought about Scotland before. I uh, never... I always thought it would be cool to be Irish. I would love to be Irish, uh, but apparently I'm Scottish, which I don't know if that means that I'm in, against the Irish or not. I think that kind of makes us brothers. It's kind of cool. Uh, but uh, as soon as I found out that I was 38% Scottish, I began instantly romanticizing uh, the idea of being Scottish. I told my wife that I needed to buy a kilt. I need to get a set of bagpipes and quickly learn how to play the bagpipes. I was sure that I'm somehow related to Sean Connery and William Wallace. And, uh, and I even, uh, even thought this kind of makes sense because for a while now I've kind of been sort of suspicious of the English. So, freedom! You know, it's good. It's good. I'm totally sold out on this being Scottish thing. I, I don't usually do things half throttle. I usually go all in, and, uh, and so I'm all in on this. There was something about finding out a, a history or a legacy that I belong to, something historically, something bigger and, and, and older than myself. I had a heritage, a longevity. Something's been passed down through the ages, one day, if I get a chance to visit Scotland, it's going to feel good to stand on the earth that I know that some of my ancestors came from. Now, if that interests you, if there's something about finding out that you belong to something bigger or older or greater than yourself, well, then you've tuned in on a good day. Because today is the beginning of a series that we're going to go through called the 21 Missives They Never Saw Coming. And this is the story of who we are. The 21 missives are the 21 letters of the New Testament which lead us and guide us in understanding who God is, what the church is, is supposed to look like, and how we are included in an amazing story that is much bigger and older than we are. 
But before we get to the 21 missives, we kind of have to set the stage a little bit so we understand what we're talking about. So come with me for a brief moment as we look at the whole of the Bible, because you and I are part of a bigger story. But the story wasn't originally written to us. You know the saying that the Bible was written for us, but not to us. The Bible was written for us, but not to us. I mean, while the Bible is written for us, it was written to a totally different audience. In fact, most of the Bible was written to the Jewish people, and as far as I know, there's not many Jewish people in our area right now. So the Bible was written to a people that are completely different than we are. The Bible tells the story of God's interaction uh, with the world primarily through the Jewish people. Almost all the way up until we get past the Gospels, halfway through the book of Acts, we don't really see God interacting a whole lot with the rest of the world. Now, God has always been the God of all of creation and not just the Jewish people. But the Bible focuses in primarily on these people, the Jewish people, until about halfway through the book of Acts. Now, this Bible that we have is an amazing gift to us from God. I don't know if you've ever thought about the makeup of the Bible and and how amazing it really is. Well, there's 66 individual books in the standard evangelical Bible. 37 in the Old Testament, 29 books in the New Testament. And while the Holy Spirit wrote the whole of the Bible, he did it through 40 different human authors who wrote in three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, from three different continents over a 1,500-year span beginning to end. That's how long it took to to write the Bible, over 1,500 years from the writing of the book of Genesis to the writing of the book of Revelation. From places like the wilderness and the palace, this is where these books were written from, even places like dungeons and prisons. The Bible was written during times of war and peace, a famine and prosperity, during joyful times and during very sorrowful times. The Bible uses different styles like poetry and history, prophecy and song, romance, personal correspondence, parable, law, biography, and autobiography. And while primarily written to the Jewish people, the Bible was also written to Gentiles. Not a majority of it, but quite a bit of it. Um, And Gentiles, as you may or may not know, are all non-Jewish people. So the way that the Jewish people see things, there's the Jewish people, the people that were called the people of God, and then there's everybody else. And we all kind of get lumped in together as the Gentiles. The Bible is written to the righteous and the unrighteous, the priests, the tradesmen, the shepherds, the kings, the pagans, the blasphemers, and the prostitutes. The Bible was written to everybody. And yet with all these different authors, with all these different languages, settings, styles, and audiences, the Bible has one clear message and purpose. God is rescuing his people. God is rescuing his people. Have you guys noticed how hard it is to turn pages when you can't lick your fingers? My goodness. And here's where we come into this story. Here's where you and I join in with the middle of this. Though most of the Bible, like I've said, is written to the Jewish people, we are included into God's people. God is not just rescuing the Jewish people. God is actively at work rescuing all of us. I want to show you how this takes place. 
Like I said, the Bible is 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. The New Testament continues the story of God's rescue plan. The whole of the Old Testament looks forward to the coming of the Messiah, looking forward to the coming of the day when Jesus arrives to rescue his people. In the beginning of the New Testament, we have the story of the Messiah coming. Here's how it looks. The first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These four books tell all about the coming of Jesus, who was a very Jewish Messiah. He comes to earth as a brand new baby. He walks the earth for 33 years. He dies on the cross, and he rises from the dead, and then he goes to be back in heaven again. And then the next book in the New Testament is the story of how the apostles begin to build the church. Jesus didn't build the church while he was here. Though he said that he is going to build his church, he didn't do it while he was physically here. He did it through the apostles as he began in the books of Acts to speak and, and to breathe upon the apostles as they built the church. Jesus gave the apostles the mission to go and make disciples of all nations, all nations, not, Jew, not just the Jewish nation. And that is what we see in the book of Acts. All nations beginning to be gathered together into the people of God. The first half of the book of Acts is about the beginning of the church growing, mainly due to the inclusion of more Jewish people. But about halfway through the book of Acts, there's this shift that happens. The mission expands to include non-Jewish people, the rest of the world. Now, this is a major transition, a major transition. Up until this point, the Bible and God's rescue plan was primarily focused on the Jewish people. But then, all of a sudden, this amazing transition happens, and the Jewish people begin to reach out to the non-Jewish people. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, specifically going out and going all over the place, trying to reach people to draw them back into God. Now, all through Scripture, the Jewish people were meant to be a lighthouse for other nations. This is how it was set up. There was a, where the temple was in the Old Testament, there was supposed to be a space, a space for the non-Jewish people to worship God. The Jewish people were meant to be a lighthouse all throughout history for the people that were non-Jewish. But here in the book of Acts, halfway through, we have an apostle who is specifically tasked with going into the Gentile world and drawing people to God. Now, if you know about the Jewish people, they were grounded in the Old Testament. They knew about God. They knew about the law and the prophets. They, they were the people of Moses, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew about King David and the prophecies of Isaiah. They were the people of the temple. These were the people who received the very Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. They knew how they fit into this story. They understood that they had this long, hundreds, even thousands of years long story that they were a part of. But now the rest of the world, the, the pagans, the uncircumcised, the Gentiles were now being adopted into the people of God. They didn't have this legacy at first. The gospel was going out far and wide. Now, all of a sudden, we are the children of God. We are the people of God, the, the people whom Jesus was sent to rescue. Can you see the challenge that is coming in this? These new people, these new non-Jewish people, they knew nothing of the Old Testament. 
They knew nothing of the Ten Commandments and the writings of Holy Scripture. They couldn't say that we are the children of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew nothing of how to live or, or what to do. They didn't know who God was. They didn't know what the church was supposed to look like. They didn't know how they were included in this amazing story that went all the way back to the beginning. None of that was, was there for them. They weren't raised with that. It was a major transition. So from the book of Acts, where this transition occurred, we now go into the epistles. That's what happens right after the book of Acts, the epistles. And this is the space where we begin to encounter the 21 missives that they never saw coming. This new ragtag group of Jesus followers, they, they need to be taught. They need to be taught about who God is. They have no foundation about who God is. They need to be taught about who he is. They need to be taught about what the church is supposed to look like. There is nothing for them in their history about what is the church supposed to look like, and they need to understand how they fit into this amazing story. And that's exactly what the epistles focus on. You see, we know how the, the New Testament is laid out chronologically. It's the story, first the Gospels, the story of Jesus, and then Acts, the story of the early church and the transition from primarily Jewish-focused to being whole-world-focused, and then the epistles tell the rest of the story. We get that. We understand that. However, when Jesus first came, there was no New Testament. There was no New Testament. You couldn't just sit down with a brand new convert from paganism and say, go ahead and just read the New Testament. You'll learn all about Jesus and the Gospels and all this kind of stuff. There was nothing there for them. All the people had was the Old Testament, and these new converts, they had no training in the Old Testament. So the non-Jewish people had nothing to lead them and guide them. You could tell the Jewish people about Jesus by referencing the Old Testament. Now, you actually see one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, is primarily written to a Jewish crowd. All through the Gospel of Matthew, you see all these references to the Old Testament because that's what the Jewish people would have known. But not for these non-Jewish people. They wouldn't have any idea what was going on. Now, I love reading the Gospels. In fact, I always tell new believers to read the book of John because I think it's a fantastic way of figuring out who Jesus is and learning about, about what he did in this world. But did you know that the Gospels were likely not the first books that were written in the New Testament? The first books of the New Testament were likely the epistles. Well, of course they were. The Jewish people had the Old Testament, but the non-Jewish people needed something that taught them about God, taught them about the church, taught them about how they fit into this story, and that something was the epistles. So I want you to look briefly at a timeline of when the New Testament books were written, because I think this is valuable and helpful for us. Now, there's some wiggle room here, and if you look at when were the New Testament books written, you're going to get a whole gambit of different ideas about which books were written first and when were they written and all kinds of stuff. And usually they're going to hedge their bets by saying, you know, the Gospel of Mark was written somewhere between uh, 40 and 60, right? So over a 20-year span, somewhere in there, the Gospel of Mark was written. Uh, but we'll, we'll look at some of this. I want you to take a look at the timeline so we understand a bit more of how the New Testament came together. 
Now, in about 50 A.D., now, if you don't know what A.D. is, because nowadays we use a different word, we use the C.E. word, which is the common era, but back in the day, we used to use this word A.D., which is Latin for the year of our Lord. So back in 50 A.D., 50 Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, Paul wrote the book to the Galatians, probably the first New Testament book to be written, which was followed closely by 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st Corinthians, Philippians, Philemon, 2nd Corinthians, Romans, Colossians, and James. So all these epistles written. And then finally in about 65 to 73 AD, we have our first gospel, which is the gospel of, of Mark. And now some scholars actually put the gospels of Matthew and Mark a little earlier in the timeline. Uh, but the point here is that likely there were several significant epistles written before any of the Gospels were written. Now, this is just an aside here. This is kind of some bonus stuff for you that doesn't talk necessarily about the timeline. Here's just a bonus thing for you. While the first Gospel was written somewhere 20 to 30 years after Jesus died, rose from the dead, and went back into heaven, that doesn't mean that nobody was telling the story of Jesus doing these things or what Jesus had done. People were telling the stories of the parables and telling the stories of the crucifixion and telling the stories of Jesus' life well before this was all written down because the culture at that time would have been a mix between oral and written history. We still have that today. We, we uh, are primarily a written history type of a people, but our indigenous people are largely a people who pass down their stories orally. And historians who study oral history people uh, tell us that, that the people that do this, that pass their stories down orally, tell stories differently than the rest of us. Take me, for example. Uh, just the other day, I was telling Gavin, I was trying to, to uh, I can't remember why I was telling him this story, but I was telling him about his birth. What did you say? Because he was being mean to his mama. Okay, that's why. Gavin was being mean to his mama. And so I had to stop him and tell him about the story of his birth, right? Because just put him into his place. And so I said, Gavin, did you know that your mom labored intensely with you for 36 hours? For 36 hours, she labored intensely with you. Can you, like, can you just give your mom a break? And Farrell, of course, corrected me. It was only 24 hours that she labored intensely with Gavin, which is still a long time. The thing is, every time I tell the story of Gavin's birth, I add a couple of hours. It won't be long before, as I tell the story of Gavin's birth, Pharaoh will have been in labor for weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks. I'm obviously not a good oral historian. But cultures who pass down their stories orally are much different than me, like the indigenous cultures. They, they have specially trained people who practice again and again to make sure that their histories are accurate and don't kind of flow out of control, but they are faithful to the truth of what actually happened. So here in the early church, we have a, a culture that is partially oral. They passed down their oral history. The oral history of Jesus was being told well before it was written down. It, it did take about 20 to 30 years before those gospels were written down, but they were telling the story of Jesus all that time, especially because... Not only do we have this, this 
story, this oral history that's being passed down by the people, but we also have the, the, the gospels that were being, um, being told over and over again and finally laid down in written format for the people. Now, we can trust these gospels to be true. The reason we can trust these gospels to be true is because the people that are telling these are good oral history people. They're, they're not playing willy-nilly with these things. But we can also be sure that these Gospels are true because by the time they're written down, about 20 to 30 years after Jesus was there, many of them were written by people who were firsthand witnesses of what happened with Jesus. Or, like in Luke's case, Luke was not a firsthand witness, but he went to firsthand witnesses to get all of his material. So we can be sure that what we have as the Gospels are actually very true, very um, uh, realistic to what actually happened. So that's just kind of an aside to tell you that we can have full confidence in the Gospels, even though they were 20 to 30 years after Jesus was around. Uh, But that's kind of an aside as to what we're talking about here. Back to the timeline. As we look at the timeline... Uh, many of the epistles of the New Testament were likely written before the first gospel. And I think that's because that's what the church needed at that time. They needed to know about who, they, who, who God was, uh, what the church was supposed to look like, and how they fit into this amazing story. Uh, following um, those first writings, we also have uh, the books of First Peter, Hebrews, Ephesians, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, Acts, the Gospels of First, Second, Third John, Revelation, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Jude, and finally Second Peter. Which many people think Second Peter was the last book to be written uh, in this timeline. Now, while this is important. Uh, why, why this is important is because for the first 20 or 30 years or so, the church had those epistles primarily as their guide for being able to move forward, especially for the non-Jewish people, having almost no basis for understanding where they, where they were supposed to be going with things. The early church, which was largely made up of these converts from paganism and not the Old Testament literate Jewish people, only had these letters to tell them about who God was, what the church was supposed to look like, and how they fit into this amazing story. Can you imagine starting a church and having zero foundation about what you're supposed to believe? Zero foundation about what you're supposed to do, or, or how you're supposed to get along together, or how you're supposed to live, or, or how you're included in the story. Zero information, really, about who the God is that you're trying to worship. It would be chaos. I mean, you might have come to a place where you've heard about Jesus, where you've been drawn by the Holy Spirit to receive him into your life and to give your life over to him. You may have gotten together with other people that have also turned their lives over to Jesus. But now what? How do you live? Who is this God that you've given your life to? What is the gathering together supposed to look like? And how do you fit into the story? Well, my friends, this is why the epistles were written. 21 missives they never saw coming. 21 letters written to tell the people of God who God is, what the church is, and how they fit into this amazing story. Now, over the next several months, I invite you to dive deep with us in discovering these amazing truths from Scripture. Beginning next week, we're going to dive deep into the letters Paul wrote while he was in prison. 
We're calling that from behind bars. While Paul was in prison, he wrote the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Did you know that Paul was likely in prison at least three different times, if not more? And while he was in prison, he wrote these four books. Following that series, we're going to look at other books Paul wrote to the early churches, and we're calling that Faith with Feet. As we look at some of the books written to Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And then have you ever thought, what would God want to say specifically to a church leader? Well, the Holy Spirit wrote three books through the Apostle Paul, and we're calling that Two One for All. Those are the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. Now, these books were, that I just mentioned, all these three different series, were all attributed to Paul. But there are other people who wrote some of these New Testament epistles. And we're calling those the Incredible Others. And those are the books of Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, and Jude. These 21 missives they never saw coming were the foundational teachings that helped to mature the newly birthed church, to help to teach them these primary things about who God is, about what the church is supposed to look like, and how the people there fit into the amazing story of God. Oh, friends, we have been adopted, adopted into an amazing story. And even if you've read these 21 letters again and again, the truth is God has so much more in store for us in this, these epistles. Now is the time to take a new look, a fresh look at the wonderful written word of God, these 21 letters that were specifically written, maybe not to us, but very much for us. Now, during this time, we want you to read ahead. So you've heard on the announcements uh, that, uh, that we're wanting to, you to read ahead. We've got some things set up for you that way. Uh, this week, we want you to read the book of Ephesians because that's coming up next Sunday. Um, there are many Bible apps you can get that will actually read the, the Bible to you. And I just looked uh, the other day about how long it would take for my Bible app to read the book of Ephesians to me. And it takes 25 minutes for my phone to read the book of Ephesians all the way through for me. So if you've got a 25-minute commute to work, you can put your phone on and you can listen to the whole book of Ephesians in that one commute, which means if you work five days this week and you commute 25, ways this w- 25 minutes this way and 25 minutes back, you can listen to the book of Ephesians 10 times this week just driving to work and back. If you don't drive that long and you get a coffee break, a 10-minute coffee break in the morning and a 15-minute coffee break in the afternoon, you can listen to the whole of the book of Ephesians over two coffee breaks. Or, and this is a crazy idea, I know, but tonight, instead of watching another episode of your favorite show on Netflix, you can just read, in, in the time that it would take you to watch one episode, 25 minutes, you can read the whole of the book of Ephesians in one sitting. Wouldn't that be amazing? So my encouragement to you over this next week, however it suits you, go through the book of Ephesians once, twice, several times if you want to, but go over the book of Ephesians several times if possible. If you want to interact with other people as you read through the book, you heard about our Facebook community group. 
jump on there, get involved. There's going to be some questions. There's going to be hopefully some interaction there. Uh, there's going to be a Bible reading plan. We'll actually post. I've got two uh, two Bible apps that I use. I just started using a new one this last fall, and we'll post both those Bible apps on there. They're free, and they're amazing. They're actually quite amazing, um, but one of them reads it to you in all kinds of different voices and backgrounds. It's really quite fun, uh, so I'll, I'll uh, post those on the community group so you can take a look at those uh, and get involved that way. I encourage you to take some time out of your week this week to read through the book of Ephesians, connect and dig deeper. Let's walk this out together. Let's learn who God is. Let's learn what the church is, and let's learn how we fit into this amazing story together. You know, when I learned that I was Scottish, I was, I was pretty excited about learning that I was Scottish, but that's nothing compared to the amazing history that we have when we realize that we're children of God, the amazing story that we're a part of, the church, the church is an amazing thing. God is amazing. Our, our understanding of how we fit into this story is unbelievable. I am his child. I'm created in him for good works. I'm set apart. I'm a saint. I'm filled with his spirit. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I wouldn't know some of these things if it wasn't for the epistles. That's where we learn some of this stuff. The church is the gathering of God's people made to display his power and his might, but most importantly, we are made to display the grace of God to the world. That as well is something that we wouldn't know if it wasn't for the epistles. And God, oh, God is an amazing father. He's the perfect one. He's the one who sent Jesus as a perfect example for us, someone who we're, we are to imitate who we are ambassadors for, the one who is love and who is revealing his love through us to all of mankind. These type of things, these types of things are, are things that we would only know if we read the epistles. The epistles contain who God is, what the church is, and how we fit into this amazing story. Are you ready to join me on this amazing journey together? Just a note as we close our service today, I know that, that uh, there's many people that have joined us, um, especially online over the last several months that have been watching our services, and I, I love that you're watching our services with us, and I, I think it's wonderful. And uh, if you've been trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing as you've been watching and you've been curious and been trying to figure this out, this is a great series for you. Let me invite you as we begin this series to actually give your life over to Jesus. If you haven't done that before, what a great way to start learning about who God is, about what the church is, and, and how you fit into this amazing story. Giving your life to Jesus is the perfect step in beginning to learn these truths. And it's quite simple, actually. See, God sent Jesus into the world to save all of us. This is the great mission of God to rescue his children. You and I are created in the image of God. We are his. We belong to him. And he's here rescuing us. We've actually been created to have a relationship with God. We're created to, to know him, to hear his voice, and to walk with him and to journey together with him. And the only way that actually happens is if we give our life to Jesus. It's the only way it happens is if we give our life to Jesus. 
And so if you want to do that, it's a simple prayer. You can just pray, Jesus, I give you my life. You don't have to make it difficult or, or weird. Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for rescuing me. Friends, we're going to be on an amazing journey these next several months. I'm excited to see what God's going to do in us. I'm excited what he's going to teach us in this time. Are you ready? Thank you for joining us. If you have questions or comments or are just wanting to know more about our church, check out our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com as well as you can find us on Facebook or feel free to email us at office at beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray that today you would know the love and manifest presence of Jesus.